Welcome to the Cool People, Cool Things podcast. I am your host, Tommy Offer, and today I'm interviewing a marine veteran, a woods craftsman, and a leather guru, all wrapped up into one person. His name's Nick Dow, and he runs Nick Dow Designs. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about an amazing energy drink I have found. It's called Strike Force Energy. It's veteran-owned and American-made and doesn't have all the garbage that the other energy drinks have. They have little packets you can grip, rip, and drip into any drink of your choosing. Or they have my personal preference, a 750 milliliter pump-action bottle. They have four amazing flavors that are original, that I love to put in sparkling water. Orange, that I love to make a beverage I called a four screwdriver with. That's right, I mix OJ, vodka, and the orange. It's delicious. They also have lemon, that I love to make whiskey sours with. And last, but certainly not least, they have grape. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com and get the best energy drink on the market and enter the promo code CPCT and get 20% off. Yes, that is cool people, cool things, CPCT for 20% off. Now, here is Nick. So Nick, you grew up in Spring, Texas, which is north of Houston. Yep. Went to high school there and everything. Yep, graduated uh, from Klein Oak High School in Spring. That's part of uh, Klein... I think it's Klein ISD, so Spring ISD is different, but uh, there's Spring ISD and then Klein ISD, so uh, yeah, Klein Oak High School, graduated 2000. Awesome. So you went directly, after you graduated high school, you went directly to the Marines? Very soon after I graduated, yeah. Awesome. Now, was there anybody in your life that like, any other military in your life or someone that directed you towards that? No, um, I don't have, didn't have any influence actually, um, no one from my family, it was, it was, uh, it was a decision made, I guess, it was kind of a, uh, I don't know how to explain it, I saw, so my grandmother took me to a boot camp graduation, a Marine Corps boot camp graduation when I was probably 12 years old. Oh, wow. And uh, this, when, when we saw that, while, like, you know, while we were watching that graduation, that's when I decided that's what I was going to do with my life. Wow. Yeah. Was there any reason why, besides just watching that, was there a reason why she took you there? Yeah, so uh, my uncle lived in San Diego, California. Okay. Um, which is where one of the major uh, Marine Corps recruit depots is located in San Diego. So while we were there, you know, any little kid, they love playing Army and this and that. Oh, yeah. So it was just one of those things she thought it would be neat to take us to. Oh, cool. Um, so she did, and I immediately knew exactly what I was going to do to get away from home. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so your uncle wasn't in the Marines. Y'all just went there because y'all were visiting him in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he wow. wasn't in the military. My father, my uncles, nobody was in the military. My grandparents, none of them were in the service. I had some older ancestors that were in the World Wars and all that, but yeah, no, no real military influence that wow. I was trying to live up to or anything. It was just one of those decisions that, you know, I, I was ready to leave. That was the quickest path. And then you know, when you're at a when you're at it, you can't. It's hard to explain uh, anything, Marine Corps, right? You almost right. have to experience it firsthand to really get that 
get the goosebump feel. Oh, for sure. That the Marines will bring out in you. But, you know, going to a Marine Corps boot camp graduation and hearing, you know, hearing all the drill instructors speak about the Marines and watching the drill instructors and all the recruits marching, and it's a very surreal and uh, I don't know how to explain it. That you know, there's just, when you see something, you know, like that's it. That's what I want. Yeah. Know? And that was it for me. You know, came back from that trip. Actually, I, I think I was 12 years old. Came back from that trip, got on my bicycle, and rode to the recruiting office and, and tried to sign up with them. <laughs> uh, buzzed, buzzed my hair and everything. What'd they say to a 12 year old coming yeah. to the recruiting yeah, office? They pretty much laughed. You know, they said. Uh, You've got the haircut for it, but that's about all you got right now. Uh, they asked if I could do a pull-up. You know, 12 years old, I couldn't do a pull-up. You yeah. know, they told me to keep working and come back in a few years. Wow. And that's exactly what I did. That's awesome. Yeah. So you joined the Marines in 2000? 2000, yeah. Awesome. And what did you do in the Marines? I was with a unit called First Light Armored Reconnaissance. So I was a, I was a repairman. Um, for the LAV, so essentially I was a mechanic with a secondary MOS of LAV Scout. So, you know, primary, you know, my, my actual MOS was uh, LAV Repairman. And, you know, like I said, I was also a uh, LAV Scout, which, you know, Marines rely heavily on, on boots, you know, boots on deck. That's the foundation of the Marine Corps. Is every Marine is a rifleman first. Right, that that's your your soul is. Uh, I'm a Marine rifleman. Right. right. So um, as a scout, that, that's what you do. You dismount. You dismount your vehicle, and you walk ahead of the vehicle. You you uh, you clear buildings. You clear uh, alleyways. You search vehicles. You talk to people, and then when a vehicle breaks, I fixed it. That's got to be a good feeling. Oh yeah. It was sketchy at times, you know. Uh, it's hard to hard to shoot back when you have a wrench in your hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went. You got deployed in two thousand three. Was that your first deployment? I was deployed in two thousand three in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, the first one. And then uh, I had made previous deployments, but they were scheduled deployments, right? It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a wartime scenario or anything like that. It was primarily just training. So nice. Yeah. So how was that going over there for Iraqi freedom? You know, a lot of people will call you crazy for the like for having an excited feeling about it. But you know, when you become a Marine, right? When you when it all starts and you know you go to boot camp and you stand on those yellow footprints and you're scared to death second guess everything you've always done you second guess your manhood you second guess everything you know you go through hell to to hold a title u.s marine right and then the moment that you get handed your first eagle globe and anchor by your drill instructor and he calls you marine instead of whatever other you know whatever other choice nickname he's got for you right <laughs> uh, that feeling digs real deep, you know, and, and you do nothing but train and train and train for combat. That, that's, that's what Marines do, right? Most ahead of me never got to do that. Right. All they ever did was train, right. you know, 
and never got to fulfill what a Marine does, you know. So I think being called to duty after training and training and training, it, 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 there's a sense of fulfillment to everything that you've worked for. So I wouldn't say I was excited, but on the other hand, I kind of was, right? I, it, most, most Marines were. Right. You know, Marines haven't been called to combat on that scale since the first Gulf War. Right. Right. There's all, you know, there were some little things here and there, but nothing to the caliber of the war on terror. Right. Iraq and Afghanistan and things like that, you know. So uh, to be one of the first to get called into that line of duty was, you know, it, it meant something, you know. So For sure. There was a certain excitement to see, you know, what's going on here. Definitely. You've been training for right. almost three years for this. That's right. You know, and if, if you train your whole life to be a martial artist and you never fight in a tournament, what's the purpose? Right. Right? So uh, it's nice to be able to see what what the training does and how, you know, how good are you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, you train to, to fire a rifle, right? And, and to qualify, to qualify, to graduate boot camp, you've got to qualify at 500 yards, you know? And that's a serious shot. Oh, yeah. With any gun. With an M16 on iron sights, that's a serious shot. Oh, yeah. You know, so you train for, like I said, you, you train for these things. You do it. You do it in your training. And, you know, some they make training as real as possible, but it's there's nobody ever shooting back. Right. You know, so I can fire this this rifle. I've got a badge that says I'm an expert rifleman. How true can I actually fire this gun when I need to? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was scary. Don't get me wrong. For and sure. There's times when you, should I say a prayer right now? You know what I mean? And then there's times where you're relaxed and excited to see what comes next, you know? So, yeah, it was definitely, there was some sketchy times and there was some enjoyable times, I guess. Yeah. Some people think I'm crazy when they say that, but I think any Marine will tell you the same thing, you know? So how long were you over there in Iraq? About two years. Uh had a short break in between. I had so I did two different deployments. A lot of people don't realize, but the war in Iraq was broken up into two parts. Right, you had Operation Iraqi Freedom. Actually, it was three parts. So you had Operation Iraqi Freedom, was which was the initial breach, and then you had Operation Iraqi Freedom Two, which was uh, it, after the initial breach. Things kind of got a little more hairy. Um, you had a lot more. Uh, insurgents kind of moving into Iraq you had that's when the whole IED improvised explosive device and all that stuff started really picking up speed you know right um, so there was a kind of a shift in in, in uh, focus for what we were doing you know we weren't we weren't fighting a military in Operation Iraqi Freedom 2 right that there was no military we'd already we'd already gotten rid of the Iraqi military right now we were fighting um, we were just fighting like terrorists I'll call them you know that that's what they were I mean um, just random people off the street that were making bombs out of anything they could to kill US forces or US allies wow you know so um, and then after Iraqi freedom too that we kind of moved into like a more of a humanitarian mission where we were trying to rebuild everything that we had destroyed in Iraq, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, something that I think 
I won't say only the U.S., but only the major players in like the U.N. You know, you've got Great Britain and the United States. Those key players, when we go into combat and really just wreak havoc on, on somebody else's territory, it wouldn't be right to just pull out and leave, right? right. So uh, we try to focus a lot of time afterwards in rebuilding this, the structure of that country, you know. Uh, rebuild your schools, you know, get your teachers back in there, help develop the, a police force and a military and rebuild buildings and, you know, feed everyone. So I wasn't around for a lot of the humanitarian stuff. I'd already gotten out by then, but was there for both campaigns as far as Operation Iraqi Freedom went. Wow. Yeah. So what did you do after that? So I got out in 2004. Um, decided that was enough for me, you know, two combat tours was all I wanted to deal with. I felt like I served my time. I uh, saw a lot of friends leave us, you know, during those wars. So right. I just knew, you know, if, if, if I would stick around any longer, you know, chances of me, you know, staying alive were pretty slim, you know. And I started kind of disagreeing with a lot of the things we were doing as a government, you know, so... I, I just made the choice that, you know, I, I served my commander-in-chief as best I could, but it was time for me to separate from that, you know. All right. So I got out. I accidentally moved to Wyoming, actually. <laughs> okay, uh, so you're going to have to explain that. How do you accidentally move to another state? <laughs> yeah, so I was always good at fixing things, right? Yeah. There's always That was something I was always good at doing. Um, so I wanted to go to school to be a mechanic, right? Okay. A yeah. heavy, heavy duty mechanic, diesel engines, drivetrain, things like that. So Wyoming houses uh, Wyotech, which is one of the big premier vo- like vocational technical schools, you know. So decided to move to Cheyenne, Wyoming to go to school at Wyotech. And uh, while I was there, it, it was just much more difficult to fit into the real world than I had imagined coming off of two combat tours and oh, yeah. four years in the service and this and that, you know, I was broke, had zero dollars, you know, didn't have a job. I was trying to go to school. And uh, after, I think I was in Wyoming for about three months and decided, you know, it was too cold. It's always, <laughs> it's always windy. It rains all the time there. The school, I, you know, I'd already been through a Votech school in in the Marines, right? You know, I'd already been through technical training. Um, I already held a juryman's license. I, I did my apprenticeship program, and I had all that. Which, by going to a school, I would have just gotten all that stuff again. So I just decided uh, to move home. Right at at the drop of a hat, I uh, called up my grandmother and asked to borrow a few hundred bucks so I could rent a U-Haul and. Uh, put everything I had in the U-Haul, put my truck up on a trailer, and, and drove back to Texas. Wow. And uh, got a job temporarily as a, like a, uh, for Stuart & Stevenson, a big, like a state manufacturing company, building oil field equipment. Right? Okay, just yeah. Not really mechanicking on anything, not repairing anything, just assembling things, right? It's very mindless and daunting work, not something I really enjoyed at all. Uh, but it put money in my pocket, right. which is a necessary thing. And then uh, got a 
job opportunity to build engine to rebuild engines uh, at for Caterpillar. Oh wow! Yeah, so I jumped on that. Right? For sure, that, that was something that was very interesting to me. You know, um, to build engines for a company like Caterpillar. You know, that was seemed you know to me it seemed like something that would be fulfilling. You know, a meaningful job. Uh, so went over, stayed in Houston, and uh, that's that's where I moved back when. Uh, when I left Wyoming, I went back to Houston. So, uh, went to work for Mustang Cat. Stayed there for a few years, building engines. You know, worked as a helper for a while, and then uh, worked my way up to a lead mechanic at Caterpillar, building oh, wow. engines for them. You know, that's awesome. And then uh, had a short stint working for the family business, which I loved doing it. Loved the work. So my grandfather owns and operates a uh, overhead door company. Okay. In Houston. Awesome. And he's he's owned it since his whole career. That's that's what he's done. You know, is he he owned and operated his own garage door business. You know, right. Um, he was very successful doing it. You know, uh, that kind of work has kind of taken a dive with the major like housing markets and things like that. You know, there's so many people doing stuff like that. It's hard to compete. But you know, it, it gave him a nice life. It gave my whole family a nice life. You know. Yeah. That that little garage door business. So and I remember. I remember a time when I was a little kid, my, my entire family worked for him at that door company, you know, so um, thought, you know, I'll go to work for him for a little while. So I left Caterpillar, which might, there, well, I won't say it was a bad decision. It was, it actually opened up a lot of doors for me, but so I, I left Caterpillar, went to work for the family business with the hopes to maybe take it over one day and kind of grow it back into what it was at one point, you know? Oh, yeah had a kid when I was trying to do this my first son or my, my only son my first <laughs> born um, so it, that it, bad timing it was a good idea but terrible timing you know I had this little baby trying to take care of him brand new house I built in Houston and uh, trying to take over a family business you know that wasn't doing real well you know it was enough to put food on one or two people's plates but not much after that, you know. All right. What year was this? That was uh, 2007-ish. Okay. That makes sense because that's right around, you know, 2008 was the big yeah. uh, decline in the economy and everything. So yeah. that makes sense. It was right around that time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a cool job. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed kind of working for myself. Just terrible timing. Yeah. You know, the money wasn't there. The income wasn't coming in. You know, it was more outcome than income. So uh, I think I was spending more in fuel driving around Houston than I was making, you know. Yeah. So it was pretty tough on the family. So I had to make a choice, you know. And uh, I was looking to maybe go back to Caterpillar. Um, that job was still waiting for me if I wanted to come back. Didn't I don't, I don't typically like to take steps backwards, you know. Right. Once I... Once I've done something and I've moved on from that, I, I don't want to go back. Yeah, I've never been that way. I, I just, I'd like to rather move forward, whatever whatever shows up, you know. So um, talking to a neighbor, he was a rig manager offshore for offshore oil and gas. And then uh, just talking to him over a couple of beers one night, telling him, you know, I'm, I'm going to, go back to work, so I need to find a job, you know. Didn't expect him to offer me anything at all. I was just kind of 
I guess tell just talking like men do. Right. You know, oh yeah. The troubles. Yeah. You know, life troubles. And uh, he kind of hinted that the company he was working for, they have a um, like a fast track program. And he said that I might be interested in it. I should look into it. And he, you know, and he, he said if if it's something that I would be interested in, then let him know, and he might be able to pull some strings and help me out. You know, so I was very thankful for that because that's that's what I've been doing since. You know, um, not the same company. I've, I've, I'm on, I think my third third offshore drilling company now um, through acquisitions and what else. You know. Oil and gas is a funny business. They they oh, change yeah. names like <laughs> like most people change their shoes and socks. But uh, been been there ever since. Had a, built a good career out of it. Awesome, good reputation out there, and uh, yeah, it's been good to us. So there I remain. So let's talk about your side hustle, if you will, <laughs> your yeah. side business, um, your carpentry business, your yeah. uh, woodworking business. How'd you get into that? That was. So I've always been somewhat of an artist, right? That's always drawing pictures or making things or repairing things, fixing things, doing things, and creating things, I guess, right? Making things in general. Yeah, it sounds like um, you've been doing that a lot through your military and afterwards. Yeah, and it's always been, and that's even when I was a child, you know, the everything that I do, somehow I always see art in it, right? My wife will tell you I can see art in just about everything. Ever since I was a kid, childhood was rough for me, so I always kind of found like uh, peace in, the, in a notepad, in a pencil, right? I've always been able to escape making things and building things, you know? And uh, my grandfather, he's, he was always a carpenter, right? He was okay. always that guy that could fix anything, build anything, repair anything, make anything, you know? I don't think he's quite the artist that I am, but in my mind, nobody is. <laughs> right. right. But uh, he, he kind of got me started in the, the woodworking things, you know, watching him when, as a kid. He could take a piece of, he could take a two-by-four and make something beautiful out of it. You yeah. Know? Wow. Um, so that's always been something I've been interested in, you know, and he's taught me a lot through the years, you know, structural carpentry, you know, just working with garage doors and, um, working on houses with him growing up, you know, but uh, that's just kind of, it's always stuck with me and it's always something that has been interesting to me, you know, the, For sure. the natural beauty. I'm somewhat of a primitive person. Right? I don't like a lot of technology. I don't like new things. I like the thing, the way things were, uh, you know, 300 years ago. If it was up to me, we would still be on horses. Right. You know? um, but... Seeing the natural pattern in a piece of wood, you know, it's when when most people see wood, it's it's on a tree, right, right. But you take that tree, you cut it down, you you mill pieces of lumber off of it, and then you bring out what Earth has provided us, which is usually something very picturesque and beautiful. Yeah, and it's nothing that I did. All I did was expose what was already there, provided to us. Yeah, that is a beautiful piece right there that y'all have hanging above your table. And for the listeners, I will post this on Instagram if that's all right with you. Sure. So they can get what you're talking about. Yeah, it, and it's that's just what it is, you know. And that's 
that's kind of the the idea behind what I do with my little company is I, I don't do a whole lot of making things from scratch, right? I would I would much rather build a wall piece out of that. Something and, and that's nothing more than a branch that was shaved down on a mill, right. sanded and protected with a coat of oil. You know what I mean? There it's it's nothing that I didn't create that I just saw it. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's what I've always been good at is seeing the art in something or seeing the beauty in something, you know, just a piece of simple wood. You know, uh, a two by four is typically hidden behind sheetrock. But if you if you sand it down and square the edges and you make something out of it, the natural grain in the wood is just beautiful. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. To me, it's one of Earth's greatest gifts is wood. That's just how I see it, you know, and I guess that's kind of what I try to portray with my company is you don't, you don't need to you don't need to go out and spend a million dollars on a table at, at whatever furniture store that's painted black or white or whatever color this thing is, right? If you just go get some simple wood and nail it together, you can have something absolutely gorgeous, you right? Know? And all the work's done for you. All you got to do is sand it down and expose what's already there, you know. So. That's kind of how I got into it, was watching him work with wood, me just having an artist's eye, I guess, and wanting to kind of work with it. You know, I've always loved working with wood, you know. But one of the, something else that we kind of do with our little company is we do a lot of leather working also. Yes, so how did you get into that? That is something so, that's, I've seen some of your work on your website, and yeah. go ahead and shout out your website. Or your where you so we've got a website. It's nickdowldesigns.com. However, like I said before, I'm not a technology type, right? I'm terrible at keeping up with it, so uh, we don't typically use it. But we uh, everything we make or or build or sell, we post on Facebook. So okay. Facebook's been our the biggest communications device for us. You know, Facebook, everybody's on it. Everybody has it. You know, absolutely. Um, I do have an Etsy page, and I do post a lot of things on uh, Pinterest also. Awesome. Uh, just, I don't sell things on Pinterest. Nothing I make, let me think about the right way to say this. Um, I don't make things and then sell them, right? People approach me with an idea that they have. I just help them kind of bring it to life, right? So everything I make is custom-made, one-off, one handmade everything, right? I made a, a knife sheath for my exterminator. He came over to spray the house, and he was on a, on his way to a hunting trip and asked if I could make him a knife sheath. So I just kind of bartered that with him. You know, I made him a knife sheath. He sprayed the house. You know, that's awesome. But it's you know, a lot of people say, you know, what do you have for sale? Well, I don't, I don't. Right? If you want something made, I, I will build you something. Right? But this isn't. You know, this isn't my career. This is just something I do because I enjoy it, you know. So getting into leatherworking, I don't know how I got into it, actually. Um, like I said, I, I've always found peace in, in a pencil and, and paper. Right. right? The, the Western scrolls that you see in, like, hand engraving on guns, uh, that you'll see in hand tooling on, on leather belts, things like that, I really enjoy looking and studying that kind of western floral scrolls that you'll see, right? Uh, it's 
if you, you can Google like Sheridan Scrolls, right? Oh, yeah. Sheridan, Sheridan, Wyoming is where most of that originated from. But I have a um, really good friend whose dad actually does the engraving on guns. Oh yeah, and he's like a master engraver. Yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not all no, <laughs> not off on the lake, but I've, I've he's a, a master engraver. I've got a um, really good friend of mine that used to work for me as a welder, um, and now he, uh, he he's a he's an engraver, and uh, he he's got to be one of the best in the world. I mean, he's won competitions. He I think uh, last year he was the what was it, the Western Artist of the Year or oh, something, wow. something wild like that. Um, he does all the engraving for Jesse James now. Oh, awesome. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Jesse James lives here in Austin. I did not know that. Yeah, so Jesse James uh, moved to Austin to Lake Travis area, I think. Okay. But he uh, he builds custom firearms now. Wow. Yeah, so uh, this my buddy, his name's Wes Griffin, he does all of the engraving for uh, Jesse James. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I haven't talked to him since. I don't know how it's going. I hope it's going well for him. Yeah, for he sure. deserves it to go well because he's his work is incredible. I mean, it's jaw dropping work. But that's kind of how I got into it. Actually, speaking of Wes, he's probably the biggest influence I had over leather working. Okay. Right, because I, I he could draw that Western scroll. I mean, just whip it out of nothing, you know, and. Um, just kind of watching his progression as he kind of grew up in his art, you know, in his work. I kind of enjoyed looking at it. I kind of got into drawing those scrolls on just with a pencil and paper, uh, doodling on the corner of a post-it note or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, just that leather. I mean, who doesn't love leather? Right. You know, and that's kind of, I guess, how I got into it. You know, I just wood and leather there's nothing better in the world yeah they just go together right yeah you know if you if you see a nice if you see a, a nicely sanded tabletop made out of wood and a piece of leather doesn't you don't even have to make anything out of the leather just put the leather next to it people are always it's natural you're going to rub your hand on the wood uh-huh. you're going to pick the leather up and smell it you know, it's yeah. just one of those things. I, I don't know what it is, but those are my two favorite things in the world, other than my family, of course. But, you know, wood and leather. I mean, it's just one of those things. But, you know, making things out of it, it's just something that comes easy, I guess. Yeah. People love it, you know, and I love it. It's, it brings me peace. It's kind of my meditation, you know. So my wife, Sarah, is probably... She was the major influence in, in me starting my own company, you know, because everything I did, I just, I used to make things for myself, or I would make things for gifts for people or whatever. I've made things and put them right in a burn pit before, just, it, uh, you know, I didn't really do anything with it, it's just something I enjoyed doing, you know, but through my time in the service with, with combat tours and things, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, and I'm not big on therapies and going to talk to a counselor, you know, I'm, I'm right. somewhat of an introvert, you know, I don't like to express myself very well, I don't, I'm not good at it, you know, it makes me uncomfortable when I have a counselor trying to like bring things out in me, you know, uh, that's why I have a wife, I don't need a counselor. Understandable. I do, I'm I do what my wife does. Pretty plus me. the same way. <laughs> yeah, you know. But 
being able to go into my into my workshop or sit down at my desk with all my leather tools and just put some music on. Oh and yeah. Sit there with my tools. There's nobody can bother me. I'm 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 there. Everybody's at school or work, and it's just me in the garage, you know. Yeah. And uh, it allows me to kind of think about things that I've been through, things that you know, things that different paths that I'd like to take in my life, you know, to carry my family forward. Or um, it just helps me. It's my meditation. That that's my counselor. Is my work, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're on Etsy, Facebook. Um, and the other one was Pinterest. Pinterest, yes. Yeah. Okay, I knew that. I just couldn't think of the yeah. name. Um, yeah. You can find them all at, at just Nick Dowell Designs. And go ahead and spell your name for it's the listeners. N I C K D O W E L L, and then Designs. It's very simple. So, guys, check that out. Look at his creations that he's already created. You'll see some amazing, amazing work. So if you could write to yourself a letter and give it to yourself five years ago, what would you tell yourself five years ago? That this is the woman of my life. That is an awesome answer. Yeah. That, that's, I met my wife uh, five, six years ago, something like that. You know, it's been a battle, but, you know, she came into a really tough situation and she's fought her way through it. So she's stuck in there. If you could see, look into the future and see yourself in five years from now, what would you like to see yourself doing? Ooh, five years from now, I would like to see myself prepared to walk away from the oil field, um, come home, uh, get my kids into high school and graduating. And uh, I would like to operate Nick Dowell Designs full time. That, that's, that's kind of our five-year plan is get out of the oil field, come home, and live a more simple life working for ourselves you know um, we've got a we've got goals for this little business you know we right now like I said I, I build one thing at a time and and it's usually gone most people don't have the opportunity to see firsthand what I build and I, and I hate that you know because I think what I do is, is beautiful work you know I take a lot of care um, everything I do if it's not perfect, I'll throw it in the burn pit. I've done that before. I've worked days on something and then decided to take a hammer to it because it just wasn't what what came out in, in my head. That's not what came out, you know. Um, so everything that I do, it means more than I can express to me, you know, down to the smallest item. You know, if I build you a wallet 20 years from now, I'm going to remember that wallet that I made. You know, because it came from my hand. Nobody helped me with that. You know, right. I don't. I don't have a bunch of people working for me. It's me and my tools, and my dog lying next to me. You know, you know. So, my goal is to eventually own a storefront and display my work in the storefront. You know, and and just keep it stocked with things that I make. Right. You know, not things that other people make. And I just bought it off a, of, you know, some magazine marked it up 100%. I, did, I want to own a store that, that sells items and, and things that I made with my hands, you know? So that, that's kind of, I, I don't know that all of that will happen in five years, but in five years, I hope to be in a good place to, to be moving more towards that.
and then you know five more years in the oil field you know what I mean right. I just I, I don't that's not the life that I want I, I don't want to to do that anymore you know right. it gives me a good life you know it's it's been very wealth to me and my children and my family but it's just not the life for me you know yeah absolutely so you're obviously very talented at multiple things. What are you not good at? Ooh. There's <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> um, I am not good at uh, communicating, right? Um, oftentimes, if I argue with my wife, I have to do it through a text message because that's the only way I can make sense of what I'm trying to say. Right, I'm not, I'm not good at, uh, I'm not good at like vocalizing my my thoughts. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, that's probably my worst trait is the lack of communication. Other than that, I'm pretty much perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of each episode, we give a cool portion of the week. So. It's someone who you look up to, someone who's helped you through, someone who has your back, you have their back. So who is your cool portion of the week? Hmm. Well, that's a tough question, actually. I never had a whole lot of influence in my life. You know, I've always had my grandparents and things like that, but I think the biggest influence was probably a man named uh, Gunnery Sergeant Lavely. Uh, Patrick Lavely was his name. He was my vehicle commander while I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, he was a major influence in me when I first, when I, you know, I, I just left home. I was, a, I was a teenager, you know, and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me what I needed to know to survive in that world, you know. And gave, he, you know, he gave me a lot of tools, tools that, that I needed later in life, you know. Didn't always agree with them. You know, there was times where I wanted to knock him out, but those are also tools. You know Absolutely. What I mean? Oh, yeah. Life isn't perfect, and he, he kind of showed me that, you know. He was, uh, let me think of a good analogy here, right? So he kind of settled my life down a little bit, right? Life was always pretty rocky up until that point. He kind of uh, more or less kind of put a net over me, you know, and kind of settled me down, my thoughts, my head, things that I would think and, and say, you know, he kind of brought me down to earth a little bit and helped me realize that uh, you just need a, you just need a path, you know, follow a path, pick one and go down that way, you know, uh, you can't go a hundred million directions, you've got to pick one and go that way, you know, it might be the wrong decision, but you'll find that out later and you'll figure it out, but pick a path, you know, he was probably the major, major influence on my life when I really needed it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it was Gunnery Sergeant Patrick Levery? Lavely. Lavely. Yep. No yeah. R. Good Gunny Lavely. Gunny Lavely. Yeah. All right. Well, shout out to Gunny Lavely. Nick, I really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you being on here with us. So, guys, go to Facebook, go to Etsy, go to the one I can't remember Pinterest. Pinterest. Yeah, there it is. Yep. <laughs> and look at Nick Dow Designs. Nick Dow Designs. And check out all his work and uh, send him a message. If you need something or if you want something, send him a message. Um, for sure, he can make it for you. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.